You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Of Jesus. And um, I don't know if some of you know, I'm not bound by history. I'm not trying to, like cause us to live in the past but sometimes I think by looking back you can look forward and you can gain a faith and an understanding on um in America they celebrate Mother's Day in May uh, so obviously it's a different time but Mother's Day is always a reminder for me in 1977 a group of 60 people gathered in a room to spend themselves on the poor and to worship Jesus and to um bring things back to such a place of simplicity and intimacy with the father and uh, the Lord moved quite significantly. Three years later, in, on Mother's Day in May 1980, they saw such an outbreak of the Holy Spirit in that first early vineyard that was planted that in the three and a half months after that, 700 people were baptised um, and for the first time gave their lives to Jesus. And most of us will know the rest of the story because it's, it's worldwide. But I just, I just want to bring us back to that moment. Lord, would you do it again? Would we have such faith and simplicity and expectancy? Would we spend ourselves on the poor? Would we have such a deposit of compassion? Would we just worship with you with such a hunger and longing that you would breathe on us and among us and that there would be an outbreak of your power? We're in, a, we're in a series called um, Known to be Grown, and we've been looking at 1 and 2 Corinthians. And before I jump in this week, I just want to jump back to last week. I know some of you weren't here, but if you catch up on it, this might be helpful for you. Uh, but we basically chatted through what it looks like to pray for physical healing, and then we did it. And in the, in the process, a number of things happened that I would say are no different to anything that we see in the Bible. So some people saw um, a condition healed. Some people saw it partially healed. Some people saw a delayed healing. Some people were, were not healed. And some people saw a, a significant degree of improvement that then reverted back. And um, we've done a couple of series before on, on healing. And um, that put a bit more meat on the bone. So I'm not going to fully dive into it now. But I just think it's helpful just to remind ourselves as a couple of principles. Firstly, we pray because that's what Jesus told us to do, not because of what we necessarily see. And the second one is this, the more we pray, the more we see. And that would definitely be the case of last week. The willingness and openness in the room was quite remarkable as we overcome our scepticism and fear and as we step into a place of faith, we see and we saw an increase. And I hope we would be people that continually step into that. The third one is this, through the lens of the kingdom of God, we can hold the tension between the now and the not yet. As much as we have a framework for for breakthrough, we also have a framework that allows us to understand pain and suffering. The kingdom of God, both present and breaking in now, but also yet to fully come when Jesus returns again. We want to see it break in as much as we can now, the reign and rule of God in the here and now, heaven on earth here and now, but equally it's not fully now as it is in heaven until Jesus returns. And it's okay to live in that tension. 
the tension can be hard. And I know for some of you, it is incredibly painful. Last week was incredibly painful. Some of you will suffer with things that are chronic. Some of you um, will, have, will have found times in your lives where you've asked for something many, many, many times and yet not seen change and not seen breakthrough. I, I just want to say I hear you and that's hard. But we can't stop asking or seeking because of that pain. I, I prayed for my dad, honestly, I've told many of you that story, many, 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 many times. He died of cancer. Oh, how I prayed. I prayed personally with such an outpouring of longing for myself, for Steph and our children, many times for prayer for physical healing and not seeing them answered in the way or the framework that I was longing for even last week Steph wasn't here because with our youngest at the exact moment we're praying for certain things she's seeing a doctor um trying to get an emergency appointment I've also seen her when she was a bit younger our youngest pleading with Jesus that her eczema would go and it's heartbreaking to see it and to watch it that said she's taught me so so much a while back when I was ill, she prayed for me for healing, nothing happens. And she's like, well, pray again, Daddy. And she just prayed and prayed and prayed. Ten times she prayed. And I'm like, Lord, give me, give me that faith. Because we have to pray with a degree of persistency. And I, I, tell you not, I tell you all of that not because I have solutions or because necessarily we're going to expand on it today. But I tell you that because I get it. Honestly, I, I see the tension. I feel the tension that some of you carry, but I will not relent in pressing us forward for what the Lord might do among us, that we want to see something of the kingdom breaking in. The Bible never qualifies who will be healed. Our task is to pray, and God is the one who heals. And we cannot teach anything or do anything less than the Bible teaches us to do. I do just though want to tell you a couple of stories from last week, even just one this morning. I was chatting with Anjan uh, in 2016. He broke his ankle. Is that right, Anjan? Broke your ankle. Um, and um, has, has had intermittent pain ever since. Last week, one of the children paid for him. And so far, he is, he's pain-free in that ankle and been able to do a number of extra things. One other story I want to tell you is, uh, is this. One of you shared, I've had bad reflux and pain in my stomach all of my life. I'm adding in that I know from a subsequent conversation that that's been around 20 years. They went on to say, which has been increasingly getting worse over the last few months. I got prayed for last Sunday, and as soon as the person who was praying for me put their hand on my stomach, it relaxed and the pain I was feeling went away. My stomach has never felt so relaxed in all my life. The pain has not come back over the last few days. I always thought that God would not heal me of it, that this was a lifelong problem, but I was most definitely wrong. Now, I want to be clear, my understanding is the pain is not fully resolved, but it is significantly better than what it was. I also just want to tell you um, King's story. Um, some of you will remember I got a few people to come forward. Let me just read what... King said, he said, I was born with deafness to my left ear. I would say in comparison to my right, my left ear has about 20% of hearing. I only realized about my hearing when I was age 10. And at the same time, my family immigrated to the UK. The investigation was started by an audiologist in the UK, but due to moving houses and out of the area, the appointment was lost. Fast forward 15 years, one of the doctors at work jokingly said, King, why are you ignoring me? 
my reply was, my left ear has minimal hearing. And he replied and said, his dad is an audiologist at a local hospital and an appointment was made for a CT scan. And it reviewed that one of the bones in my middle ear was not formed properly, therefore sounds are not transmitting through it. Through the years, there have been events where people have prayed for my hearing, but nothing has happened so far. I've been living with it for a long time. Deafness has become just the norm. Fast forward to last Sunday. I was helping with the media team and one as they were one member short. As they were giving the rundown of the service, they mentioned that the talk would be on something around praying for physical healing. At that moment, I felt propped prompted to ask for physical healing again. I planned to go up during ministry time at the end as I didn't want to abandon my duty to the media team. I love that commitment, King. When Paul asked for volunteers during the gathering, I felt such an urge that I needed to get up. As I was walking, my chest and my back felt so warm that I took my coat off for it to maple my wife who was sat on the front row. Now, I just want to say from, from my perspective, I was like, what is going on? I'd asked a few people to come forward, but I was like, gosh, where's King? King really needs the toilet. It was literally like he's up and out of his seat. Anyway, he says, I'm extremely grateful for the people who prayed for me. One of the guys said that they saw a picture of an ear and that one of the structures was not formed properly. What a word of insight. I felt such a blessing from the Lord as I'd not told anyone about the result of my CT scan. And therefore, I knew I was going to have to, it had come from God with such an accurate prophetic word and image. I'm very aware of the surroundings at this time. This is because I want to make sure I hear people speaking all the time. Therefore, during prayer on Sunday, I was very aware of the worship speakers on my right-hand side. In those surroundings, I normally do not hear anything on my left-hand side. However, on Sunday, I was hearing every single word prayed for me on my left-hand side by the person who stood on the left-hand side. Praise the Lord. Since the prayer on Sunday, in terms of the volume, the hearing has gone back to the same as before. However, in a way that I cannot explain, my brain and ears feel balanced. I don't have the language of this at the moment, as this is probably normal for most people. A real-life example would be when I'm driving at 30 mile an hour down the road, I cannot cope if somebody opens the window on the left-hand side, not even a fraction of the window being opened. This is because the turbulence created feels like a pressure over my ears to the point that I feel disorientated and have to open the window on my side to balance the turbulence. However, since my ears and brain feel balanced, this does not affect me anymore. Although the volume I hear from my left side is remaining as before, I know for sure Jesus is doing something and continues doing something in me. I, I just want to say something else on this story, and I kind of have King's full permission to say it. he's not here because he's working. But he said, I, as he came forward, those of you that were here may have noticed, I instantly had a sense, as I shared last week, that this was something deeper than a physical thing, rather than just using him to demonstrate praying I was like we probably need to just take the spotlight off this now there was some stuff that came to the surface for him that he and a few guys have continued to chat through and as a result he's seen I would say significant breakthrough now I know all of that sounds a little bit cryptic and it doesn't actually need to be I just think it's his story to tell and a story that he will tell another day but my point is often the physical is just a route to respond to the emotional God always wants to heal the person and not just the specific conditions. Sometimes it's the specific condition that gets our attention. 
Most of the time, we, we don't think, or we're not aware that we have needs that need healing. Although our health should be thought of in terms of wholeness, well-being, life, strength, and salvation. It's the whole person, not just the physical condition. And where sometimes we confine things to the, to the physical body, the Bible extends it to the whole of us and all of our relationships. So when we pray for people, not just for physical conditions, I think we've got to have eyes and spiritual eyes that allow us to see something far beyond it and see what the Lord might want to do. Often that opens a route to something else, but we do it and we do it with dignity and respect. The goal is always to leave people feeling more loved than than the prior prayer moment where they started. If we believe in healing, which we do, we believe that the whole person can be and should be healed and we want to continually and regularly make space for that when we gather the result of jesus's miracles wasn't simply that people were awed it's that they were loved you know if you think about it time and time and time again we're told that jesus was motivated by compassion lame beggars sinful women people that were hungry and poor people who were frightened and alone and people who were trapped and desperate all met something of the glory of God and their lives were transformed because they found him to be full of goodness, mercy and compassion. They encountered a power that revealed and the love of God that changed their lives forever. Would we see more of that in our midst? Would we be people that long and hunger after that and step out for it, believing for it? I hope that's helpful to, to say that. But let's just, let's just jump into Corinthians again, known to be grown. We don't have time for all of it, but let me just grab a few verses from um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 before we move on. I can't skip these. It says in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defy, uh, defile sorry, our body or spirit and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. As, as we've said so many times, we've got to be on a journey where we're changed and continue to be changed. Let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. We confess our sin and we turn to God. We turn towards and we work towards complete holiness. Wherever you're at today, would it be that you take a greater step into holiness for each of us i think that's going to mean doing something or that's going to mean making a shift or some form of change in our lives paul in corinth and he goes through a hard time and it it says this in in verse six but god who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by the arrival of titus honestly it's important to be encouraged and it's important to be known to be grown you need people around you I think that's what that verse is saying if you don't have people around you you need people around you join a small group get to know others get more of the spirit of God in your life and be encouraged by others that's what I take from that verse and so I think the question to ask ourselves is always how well are we relating to others how easy is it to know you What are the things that you're working on right now about yourself that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about that you need to soften and change on? How are you on a short leash? 
If we want to see the, the, the fullness and the power of God manifest among us, we have to seek out the holiness of God. And the holiness of God comes through these things. And it comes through purity and it comes through change. It says, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. That's that part. And then it goes on. But God who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. How are you encouraging others? Who is encouraging you? God employs human agents, his children, to do this. Paul expressed deep, deep thanksgiving to God for the comfort of his brother Titus. It's really healthy, I think, that we acknowledge and we recognize that God comforts us in this way, that we we're aware of it, that we're thankful for it, and that we've also got a part to play in this, that we have to ensure that we're loving, we're kind, we're concerned for others, that we are Jesus-like people through whom God can comfort us, that we then comfort others. It's therefore a kind of, a, I think it's an obvious question, are we that? Is that us? Is that how we're living? Is that the thing that people are saying? Or are our pressures, our burdens, are the things that we've got to do, the things that we've got to get done, the things that, that, are, that, that aren't therefore lived out? Are our eyes opened with compassion and care to others? That's kind of, in a nutshell, some of what I think is going on in chapter 7. Let me just jump on to chapter 8. I don't know, have any of you read chapter 8? You don't have to put your hand up, but have you read chapter 8 this week? Because I kid you not, I read it this week and I out loud, quite loudly, sighed and went, oh no. Which is exactly what I did when it was the one few weeks ago about sex. I was like, we've got to, if you've read chapter 8, we're going to have to go there. And uh, basically, chapter 8 is all about generous giving. And, and now here's what's happening. Here's, here's the reason I went, oh no. Sometime back in September, I spoke about money. And during the vision talk, we shared about having a one-off giving day to facilitate the next phase of the vision. A week later, if you were here, we did the baptisms where that was actually the giving day. And I said, if you remember, I felt conflicted because I didn't want to be talking about money with so many new people in the room who may not see our heart and think that we're just continually as a church talking about money. And last week we announced the giving total. And then here I am seeing this passage that we're methodically working through the, the, the two Corinthians talking about min, money, thinking, hang on a minute, for a guy who says we intentionally don't talk a lot about money, we're going to have to talk about money again. So please hear my heart and my tone in sharing this because I literally went, oh no, oh, no. here we go. But, but actually, this, this is phenomenal. If, if you read 2 Corinthians 8, it says this in verse 1. It says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They've been tested by many troubles and they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Can I just pause there and say, this, this would be my perception. I don't think we're a financially rich church. I shared some stuff in the vision talk. <clears throat> we, do, we do a lot with a little, but you guys 
honestly, the, the generosity and the overflow of generosity in this church is breathtaking. I just want to acknowledge that because I think it's beyond anything I can fully explain. It's almost beyond human comprehension. It says, verse 3, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. Literally, I think Paul could be writing that about you guys. I can testify that you give not only what you can afford, but far more. I read verse 4, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. We've, we've done things, including the, the giving day, because you kind of pretty much begged us for the opportunity to step into these moments. I kid you not, as we shared the vision talk, people have said, will you give us the opportunity to give again. Now, Paul is saying that's happening in other places. That's what he's seeing among the, the, the Macedonians, but it's less so among the Corinthians. I think it's important and a vital part of our health and our growth as followers of Jesus. So he's, he says this, so we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you also, so I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Here's, here's just three things I want to say. Firstly, I can't gloss over this because the Bible is absolutely rammed full of conversations about two predominant things. Firstly, the poor, and secondly, money. It's kind of a big deal because wherever our treasure is, there also is our heart. Joy is one of the clearest indications of a vibrant walk with Jesus, and it is so closely linked to generosity. The second one is this. Some of you will probably need a prod on this. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 indicates that a commitment of, to, to Jesus is shown through giving in the same way that faith is, that godly speech, knowledge of the word, and love is. Giving is an opportunity to trust God and grow in faith. That's the second thing. And, and the third thing, and what I, what I really want to say is, I love what God has and is doing here. It's really what Paul was celebrating, not among the Corinthians, but among the churches in Macedonia. I could literally be saying this to you. Verse 2, they have been tested by many troubles and they're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. You know, last week, if you were here, we announced the, the, the giving day total from the Vision Talk where you gave a staggering 32000 £868.25. Can I say in the space of a week, somehow, I don't fully understand this, that generosity has taken it to 44680 Work that out. I, I don't know, if I'm honest with you. I'm not sure what to say. Last week was a big deal. I guess this week I just want to say you are a generous people whose hearts are all in for what the Father 
is doing among us. Verse 11, now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in, bring, in beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in portion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. We should be, you are, eager to give. Now, we, we're about life application. This isn't just about talking about something. This is about living something out. There's no point just knowing stuff. We've got to be equipped to do something about it. And I have to apply this to myself. Honestly, I'm constantly, Steph is as well, we're trying to constantly live out and equip our children to understand this. Spirits of generosity, financial generosity, their jaws dropped when I told them the amount for the giving day. They just couldn't understand it. So I tried to break it down in a way that they could understand. So I said it's kind of like the equivalent, the last week's offering, not the one that's just come. It's about the equivalent of buying 130 Nintendo Switches plus a game. Now they're like, that sent them into like a, a, a spin on another level. But I, I, we want to sow into them seeds of understanding of what it is to be generous that we would personally model that to them, as verse 3 says, to give not only what we can afford, but far more. In a time and a culture that models and teaches the absolute reverse, because generosity is a kingdom trait, is part of kingdom living. To some, I think, it may come as a surprise that giving is a gift. There's, there's no coercion or command in what he's saying. Verse 9 says... You know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you could be made rich. We need to firstly receive something of Jesus in our hearts, thankful for his sacrificial work on our behalf. And then secondly, in everything related to giving and gifts, we ought to imitate and express and show his generosity. The self-giving death of Jesus is a major motivation and template for our generosity. There's something really interesting in, in, in church congregations who I think almost like people have and develop like a, a personality. They almost have like personal characteristics. I'd, I'd say that of you guys. I see some things on you guys. And the, the church in Macedonia, they've done that. They've displayed this great generosity despite their poverty and in reverse the Corinthian guys despite their wealth they've actually started to prove to be quite tight-fisted and on so many occasions I've drawn parallels between us and the Corinthians to which Paul writes that those those letters and I, I just want to kind of make an intentional break from the comparisons because can I just say on this area you guys are nothing like the Corinthians your generosity is actually breathtaking in the natural I've tried a few times to get my head around it and I can't seeing people give everything is one of the major things that has changed my life not just financially but when people say I'm in I give, my, I give my all, my time, my effort. I give everything I've got because I've seen something of the kingdom. Willing to put Jesus before anything and everyone is a life-transforming thing to see and to look on over. 
I love that classic song we sung the lyrics so many times. If I had riches, I'd bring them. If I had kingdoms, I'd lose them. If I had the world too small a gift, would it be my love for you? That is exactly what the Lord stirs among us, that we give it all. We lay it all down for him. The Corinthians are so often lacking in love, and that was necessary, therefore, for Paul to repeatedly encourage them to show love. It's like, guys, you're lacking in love. Show love. They lacked love, and they lacked generosity. Verse 12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. What is important is to exercise the gift. In this case, giving of money, it's the willingness to share something with others. The poor widow who Jesus commends, who drops the two copper coins in that we see in Mark 12. She was poor in resources, but she's rich in her willingness to share. We, I'll just read it to you, Mark twelve forty two. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. They gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. The way Jesus invites us to live is to be people who give everything. Honestly, I, we had a welcome dinner last night. We reflected on it again. It's, it, it cost us everything, the kingdom. I left a job that I look back on that I love so much. My time in the fire service, the financial security, the phenomenal pension, the thought of a job that was well thought of and respected an unbelievable job satisfaction. Yet I have zero, zero regrets, honestly, because when it's him and you know it's him, you then gain something that you can't lose. And he asks for everything because he gave everything. Giving costs us. I, I kind of want to say, just for a moment, forget the financial. It's way beyond that. It costs us relationally. Giving to people who can't give back, who can't and won't give back, is kind of part of it. It's what he asks of us. I don't want to give a tiny part of my surplus. I want to be all in everything, every area and part of my life. Verse 12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Verse 13, of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I mean that there should be some equality. We have to search our consciences. We have to look at our lives to ensure that someone else isn't having to contribute more because we aren't. That's kind of what that verse is saying. It's actually pretty heavy. He relates that to money, but I want to relate it to a life principle. I'm not going to sit around and watch everyone else serve and meet my needs and watch everyone else contribute and do everything. I want to be all in, and I know that that's going to inconvenience me. What I love about how Paul writes these passages is he resists the temptation to manipulate to leave these guys in a place of guilt or to impose some kind of legalistic requirement on them. God's grace must remain the motive for people's response. And Paul takes kind of like a really interesting stance. I think he almost becomes like an advisor. He gently conveys to them the shortfall is their problem. It's not his. And what he does is he advises that only they can do something about solving that problem. Now, again, he's talking about money, but I think we can apply it way wider than that. 
in our discipleship journey, in that desire and journey to be known and grown. It's kind of on you to do something about this. Of course, we, we, we will collectively try and create environments where there's soil for you to grow, but what it actually looks like comes down to your willingness. Very few people stay hungry because they get satisfied. We've got to be people that stay hungry and that run the race with purpose, not just shadow boxing, that run it to the end of its course. I, I, I just, very briefly, as I, as I come in to finish, I just want to cross the line into chapter nine because I cannot do another week talking about money, and it talks about money, so let's box it off now. But he says this in verse one. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. That tells me it's possible to start right and yet the Corinthians started to wane and it started to lag in what it was. They started with a hunger, but they became satisfied. To have the right heart and the motive, but to lose our way. And he's kind of saying, man alive, guys, what happened? Don't tire of this. That's, I think it's quite easy to do in most things. So like apply it way further than money. We can start to tire Steph and I, for that giving day, had to personally weigh the cost. It's like, this is going to impact us. But I can never get beyond that widow that dropped in the two coins. I don't want my faith or my resolve or my pursuit of Jesus to ever be anything less than everything. I don't want it just to be a surplus thing. It's going to cost us and it's going to be all in. Let's just pick up on verse 5. I want to, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your own heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. If, if you're hearing some of what I'm saying today as overbearing or being about money or it leads you into a place of guilt and shame, please know that's not my heart or my intention. I just want to be faithful to the text. And I think this is what it's saying. So it may well actually offend your mind, but that will speak, I believe, to your heart. But that's different if that's guilt and that's shame. And if it is guilt and it is shame, please read verse 7. Because it says this, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Verse 10, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. It's all his anyway. Sometimes we think it's ours, but it's kind of all his. It says, and then he'll produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That's... That's my prayer for you, if I'm really honest. That's my prayer for me. I want to see a harvest of generosity in a world and a culture that holds and needs that I would be someone who lets go and releases. Verse 11, yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. We give and we give and we get to give 
Generosity creates and stirs generosity. You know, there will be some, actually there's many, who have come to know Jesus in this church because this church is here. Well, I know that's the case. There'll be many in this city who have been loved and served because this church is here. Again, I know that's the case. And there are many across the UK and indeed across the world who could say and reflect the same. And therefore, although they may not say this to you directly, let me just speak over, over you. Verse 13. Because it says this, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. What you're doing, what has and is stirring among us, the remarkable generosity that he stirs up in you that he's pouring out, yes, financially, but also in so, so many other ways, not only proves that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, but it is also producing a great harvest of generosity in you. And as it does, I pray that you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. I commend you for it. It's an honour and it's a privilege to be part of such a wonderful expression of the kingdom. Honestly, I, I wanted to land on you today. The generosity that we see here and is stirring here is a remarkable thing. And I believe the favour of God flows from some of those moments. Shall we stand together? Steph, do you want to join me? Let's just have a moment before the Lord. Spirit of God, we welcome you in faith and expectation. The kids are going to join us again this morning. Some of you for physical healing. They'll pray over you if you'd like to. They're spending time again this morning, learning, being trained and equipped, stepping in in faith and expectancy for what the Lord might want to do. I just, I just have a sense of, so almost where I started talking about the Mother's Day thing and the longing and the desperation and the outbreaking of the Spirit all those years ago, meandered around a bit but ended up talking this morning about being all in i think for some of you it's spending yourselves again on the kingdom for some of you that feels quite weighty come lord jesus don't don't tire of waiting on him let's let it be him i don't want us i just want him jesus we welcome you just like it, it comes in waves, just another wave. Some of you just sensing the Lord just moving now. I just, I just want to say, stay with it. It's Him. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I think for some of you, there could be, um, there could be pain um, over this kind of all-in message um you've been in context before churches before perhaps where you've your all in hasn't been good enough or your all in has caused you to be burnt um and i also think that there could be some people that have been you maybe been in churches all your life but it's only now really that it's like it's the penny starting to drop that you're like for the first time in your life you actually want to be all in you, it's like you're getting it in a new way 
it's a it's a heart response it's a um it's cultivated out of a place of your relationship with Jesus it's not about pressure it's not about um religiousness or obligation well I just thank you that we are the priesthood of all believers and we're all in this together we are all called you are calling us all out and into more and so Lord I pray that you will be ministering to us that the pain and and scars will will heal and will be resolved and dealt with and that we're able to move forward with such newness and restoration that we're not held back just let him let him do what he's doing let's not tire of what he's doing here. some of you there's a there's a surrender moment some of you it's just been expressed in tears some of you there's a it's like Steph was saying, there's like a grief coming off of it. Some of the scars have just been shown before the Lord. The Lord is ministering through a number of you quite powerfully. Some of you are going to want to respond to that equally. I acknowledge some of you, the Lord's doing what he's doing in the, in the place you are, and it's going to be harder to move. So let's just be sensitive to the spirit in this room. The kids have come in. If some of you would like prayer for physical healing, um, if, if you're a parent, could you just leave those kids signed in with a kids group? But if you'd like prayer for physical healing, they'd love to pray for you. If you can go over to one of the chairs, sit on the chair, and they'll 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 pray for you while we're standing. That's probably easier to do it. Some of you, I think, you'll just want to come to the front or to the other side just to be prayed for. Equally, some of you just stay where you are. We're just going to have some people move around because the Lord is ministering to you. Let's just be sensitive to the to the spirit in the room. Lord, we welcome you. If, if you're in a small group and you're not actively engaging what the Lord is doing in your life, would you just move around a little bit? There's, there's a number of people who are responding to the Lord. It's like there's almost another way if you can just see it. You have to push chairs around and all sorts. Don't, don't be polite about it. for a bit just rest in the presence of God just again if if, um, if for some of you there's, there's something physical that you would like prayer for that the, the kids would love to pray for you they're overflowing with faith and expectancy about 20 people in the room currently waiting for somebody to pray for them so if you're willing to do that just move around 
you'll see who it is. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.